0: Well, welcome to the Lord's house on this Lord's day. It is good to see you all this morning. You know, back in 1976, there was a serial killer on the loose in New York City, which prompted the biggest manhunt in the history of New York City. But after about a year of eluding the police, he was apprehended and brought to justice. And David Berkowitz, or the son of Sam serial killer, is still to this day serving six life sentences consecutively. Now, I share that story because about 10 years after being incarcerated in 1987, a fellow inmate handed him a Gideon's pocket Bible. And one night he opened it up and he read Psalm 34:6 and he gets converted and he became a born again Christian. Fast forward another 30 years in prison. And he gets a letter from a mother asking about raising her teenage daughter, and asked him, could you tell me and give me your advice for how I can help my teenage daughter not go down the wrong path? I mean, given your experiences growing up in your past, as well as 30-plus years in prison, what, is your, what would your advice be to me? And so David Berkowitz decides to, open, to write an open letter to parents, and I want to read just the first paragraph. He says, do not underestimate the ability of peers to lure your kids toward bad behavior. Unfortunately, many adults assume incorrectly that if they're raising their kids right, they won't get into trouble. Also, that those kids who do have run ins with the law usually come from troubled backgrounds and dysfunctional families. Yet, those things aren't always the case. This is because other people can have a lot of influence over your children. And kids don't always pick their companions wisely. And so I think that's not just good advice for parents to kids. That's good advice for all of us, isn't it? We don't always pick our companions wisely. And so you've probably heard the phrase at some point, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's right. So, you know, I actually even uh, Googled that to look. when's the first time that ever showed up? And according to Google Books, it was 1828, the first time that phrase ever shows up in print. Now, even though it just showed up in print in 1828, that truth has always been true, hasn't it? I think that's why the Bible gives us a lot about friends and friendships and companions and who we pick to be close with. You know, we look in the Bible at so many different friendships, so some for good and some for worse. David had a friend, Jonathan and it was a good thing. Amnon had a friend, Jonadab, and it was a bad thing. Daniel had friends, and they were great for him. But Haman had friends that were not good for him. Herod and Pilate became friends, but on a horrible basis, right? Cornelius became friends with a number of people, and it was on a great basis, and it was a glorious thing. If you look at the parables of Jesus, what's the first thing the man does when he finds his lost sheep? Calls his friends. What's the first thing the woman does when she finds the lost coin? She calls her friends. So friends, friendships are natural. They're every day in our life. And so as we look not just to the Bible, we look through history, we see the same story. That who you choose to be close with and associate with either takes your life in one direction or in the other. If we were just to look at some of the most well-known Christians throughout history you would see that they would not have fully become what God had called them to were it not for other friends, other companions in their life. So we could say, what would have happened to Augustine without Ambrose? What would have happened to Luther without Melanchthon? What would have happened to Calvin without Pharaoh? What would have happened to Bonhoeffer without Bethke? And so on and so forth. Praise God, we'll never know, right? Because they had people in their life that would help them become who God called them to be. You know, there was actually last week an article that just came out uh, in an organization called Nine Marks, and it says, a brief history of how friendships like yours can change the world. And so they, say, they start off by saying, you know, every Christian wants to know, what can I do to impact the world? What can I do to help change the world? And their answer is, look at the friends you have. And so they go on and give an example in, in the late 18th century of William Wilberforce in the Clapham Society. How there was people like Hannah Moore, John Newton, John Van, Henry Thornton, Thomas Clarkson, and several others. And they said, how did this close network of friendships really impact and change history? And they said, nearly 200 years later, it's worth asking the question, what made this group of saints so successful? In God's providence, we can point to intimate Christian friendship, strategically levered for kingdom purposes. They supported one another, reinforced one another, gave one another the strength to carry on, especially when things looked bleak. Like many saints before and after them, the Clapham Society understood the fundamental principle of Christian experience. God gives us friendships because we're more fruitful serving Him together than alone. And so what we want to do today is look at the topic of friendships. We want to look at the topic of companions and who we pick for better or for worse. And we're going to see what God has to say, specifically in the book of Proverbs. So if you're just joining us and you're new here, we've been in the book of Proverbs this summer, kind of wising up in different areas of our life, and we want to be wise with the type of friends and companions we choose. And so let me say one thing up front that is immensely important. When I'm talking about friends up here, we're strictly talking about those who you are in close fellowship with, those who you run with, those who you go to for advice, those who you have allowed influence on your life, and that's who we're talking about. So in one sense, you might think at certain parts of this sermon, well, what about my friends on Facebook or social media? What about my, my, my classmates? What about my coworkers? What about... Those are other sermons for other days. Today, we're just talking about those who have influence over you, those who you've chosen to be your friends in the biblical sense of that word, in close fellowship with. And so we're just going to look at three things. We're going to look at those type of friends you should avoid, the type of friends you should pursue, and then the one friend you can't make it without. And so that's what we're going to do in our time today. Now, one reason we're going to start with those who you should avoid is because the book of Proverbs starts off with those who you should, av- who you should avoid. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever told you as you open up some of the wisdom literature, if you open up even the book of Psalms, they say kind of Psalm 1 is the gateway into understanding the whole Psalter the same thing in the book of proverbs. And so the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, chapter 1. If sinners entice you, do not consent, chapter 1. So chapter 1 kind of lets you know where you're going in the whole book. That as John has done a great job the last couple weeks to instruct us is that the book of proverbs really divides humanity into two classes, those who are wise and righteous and those who are fools and wicked. So those are the two. there's no third category, there's no other uh, other example. Those are the two categories and we're gonna look at them both. And so the first, what we're gonna do is just look at kind of some words and we're gonna kind of group them together because there's so many proverbs on each one of these terms. And we're gonna first start off with who should you avoid as having as friends? And so the first word we're gonna look at is gullible. Now that might sound harsh, doesn't it? Because we use that today, we use that word gullible thinking, oh, they were just gullible, right? Almost as an acceptable excuse. Some of your Bibles use the word the simple. And so the simple, according to Proverbs, is, defines the person as weak-willed, wayward, uncommitted, and easily seduced or quickly misled. And so this is the mildest form of fool in the book of Proverbs. It doesn't say that they are wicked. It doesn't say that they're godless. But there is a religious significance to them and a danger to be around them for themselves and others especially with so the way proverbs often associates it though not always which I'm going to share in a minute it often depicts it as raw youth and so there's still a lot of hope to go through the education process to be able to pick wise friends wise counsel wise companions but at the same time left where they were they're still wayward left in their situation they're still lumped in with the fools left lumped in with the mockers if they don't repent and turn from those ways and so we're going to deal with them, you know, the, the way I, I would, I was thinking about this last week. So Carrie Hall and I were at Denia Park. And if you've been around toddlers or you've been around young kids, they start putting everything into their mouth, right? And so we were reminded of this at the park when our two young three-year-olds were over there playing, having fun. And they saw, there's some candy on the ground. There's some lemon heads over there. And I like lemon heads. You, we need to eat these lemon heads on the ground. And so the older kids, what do you think they did? Mom, Dad, uh, you know, so Hezekiah's eating eating food off the ground, right? And so they came over running to us because they've gotten educated a little bit more than the three-year-old, or they remembered anyway. And so hopefully, the hope for them is that, that, that you know, Daddy doesn't eat food off the ground, and here's why. Let me show you. Let me give you a ex- good example. Let me tell you why you don't do that. And hopefully they grow in that. But right now, they'll put whatever in their mouth that they see that might be shiny, might be good, might taste wonderful, And so we were reminded of that, and so if any of you have seen the new movie, uh, Disney movie, Luca? Yes? All right, we got some yeses over there. So, if if you remember in that movie, little Luca meets another young boy, Alberto, and as he meets him, he believes everything he says. Whatever Alberto says, he believes. So they look up into the sky, what are those? Those are sardines. Well, what's the big one? Oh, that's the big fish, and they all swim around him, right? So whatever Alberto says, he believes until he meets somebody who's gone to school, until he meets somebody who has read books. And then he realizes, whoa, that stuff isn't true. And I just took it as face value, I was gullible, I just believed that stuff. And so we see that in youths, we see that in certain situations, but I don't want you to think that being gullible is just an age, so it's just these uneducated kids. Because the Bible has much to say of people who can be gullible in matters of doctrine, In matters of worldliness? So has anybody, no no, no show of hands, no nudges, met somebody who is gullible in those matters? Do you know that according to the Apostle Paul, it doesn't take a witch to bewitch you? In chapter 3 of Galatians, he says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And it's a very fascinating word study if you look at what he means, meaning who has put you under their spell? Who have you allowed to lure you away from God into sin, into worldliness, and into false doctrine? And he's not talking to toddlers. He's not talking to little kids. But people can be gullible in matters of doctrine, in matters of worldliness, in matters of belief. And so I think the first thing we need to say to ourselves is we need to avoid those who are easily misled. And as we go through each one of those, a healthy question for us all to ask is, am I easily misled because all of these are for us as well aren't they? Am I a good friend or a bad friend? Am I easily seduced, easily misled? The second one is senseless. This person lacks foresight. This person does not think about the consequences and so the book of Proverbs specifically defines this person as someone who chases fantasies, finds joy in folly, and despises his neighbor. I remember talking to a drug dealer one time and I asked him, what's the draw to the streets? Or what was it for you? And he says, well, I can make more money in one phone call than you're going to make all day today, working an eight-hour shift. It's quick and it's easy. To which I replied, and, and yet you are here and I will go home today. And he says, yeah, I've lost everything. I've lost everything. He says, even my family is fading away as you get the annual pictures of them and there'll be less family members every year and they'll look older and his family's fading away because he lacked foresight. He didn't think about the consequences. And that can go in business, that can go in sports with kickbacks and other incentives or steroids. It's quick, it's easy, right? But you're lacking the foresight to realize you'll lose everything. You could lose everything. And yet, he says, here I am. And so again, as we look at things that might be quick, might be easy, I remember there was another group of men that I was around in a prison, and they were chatting and laughing about all what all they could do with drugs and light bulbs. And one of them says, I bet Chap knows nothing about what we're talking about. And one of them sat there and said this with a blank stare. He says, you know, I wish nobody introduced me to it. I might be in college or somewhere making something of my life there was this quiet, just like now, as if the other men's lives just flashed before them and they realized that they didn't consider the consequences of what all they did, that they just took whatever was handed to them, that they were a senseless person introduced to senseless things and they went down that. And the moment of silence was interrupted by somebody who says, well, anyways, and they just carried on in their conversation. But that's another helpful reminder that sometimes when we're hit with reality, We just want to shrug it off and move on, and we don't actually let it impact us and make a change. And so I would hope today, avoid being friends with those who do not consider the consequences. And then ask yourself, do you consider the consequences of your actions? The third one is just the fools. Now you say, that's a pretty broad category, and it is. There's almost 70, I think something, occurrences of the term fool. And so let me kind of boil it down and again, Uh, As we've gone through this series, you'll you'll see the consistency of the fool, unlike the gullible, unlike the senseless, is the one who is fixed on the correctness of his or her own opinion. Several years ago, there was a billboard uh, from the Agency for Healthcare Research in order to encourage men uh, to take a more active role in their health. And the billboard said this, this year, thousands of men will die from stubbornness. Which someone came along and painted in white underneath it. No, we won't, right? So, that uh, uh, what a good mark for the stubbornness, right? But worse than being stubborn about our physical health is being stubborn about our spiritual health. And so, how can you spot a fool? Well, a fool is not somebody who lacks intelligence. A lot of people just use the word "oh, what a stupid mistake, what a foolish mistake," and they think it's attached to maybe they weren't educated in that area. But it's not about intelligence at least not in the book of Proverbs. But it's someone who shows an increase in their evil thoughts, words, and deeds as evidenced by their actions. And so let me give you a few examples of who who Proverbs puts in this category. The greedy, the violent, the cruel, those who speak perversely are two-faced, hot-tempered, incapable of managing their homes and finances, or inclined to mindless amusements. One commentator said this, this menace to public health has to be treated with as radical of a surgery as that applied to life-threatening cancer. Another commentator put it this way, Most of the verses speaking about the fool assume the connection between overconfidence and stupidity. That's why the fool returns to his folly like a dog returns to its vomit. And so one telltale sign, if you you noticed the common denominator of all these fools that we just mentioned, one telltale sign of a fool is someone who advantages themselves while disadvantaging the community, while disadvantaging those around them. I remember talking to a guy one time, or last year in Pensacola, and he was sharing with me how he was going through rehab. And while he was going through rehab, he was on a couch, and he found a gold ring. And when he found that gold ring, he took it to the pawn store to see what he could get for it. And the exact amount of money he got for that gold ring that he found on that couch was the amount he needed to get a ticket, to go back to his girlfriend and where he was. And he said, boy, was I wrong. I thought God gave me a sign. I need this amount of money, and here it is. He says, boy, was I foolish. I was a selfish fool that I not only, I not only hurt myself, but I hurt both communities. I hurt my family, and now here I am in federal prison. And it's sad because, again, he cared most about what he wanted and he disadvantaged everyone around him, and no one would tell him what to do. No one was gonna speak into his life. And people tried. And there are stories of that everywhere. You know, if you Google most stubborn people of all time, you're gonna get link after link, story after story of people who have lost companies, who have lost reputations, who have lost life, because they were deaf to wisdom, and they would twist values in order to suit themselves they would not listen to anyone else. They were foolish. You know, if, you, if you've ever passed Carroll Boulevard here in Denton, uh, where Carroll Boulevard and I think it's Eagle meet, there's a cemetery there. If you go all the way in the back of the cemetery, and I'm, I'm sure maybe none of you all will, but I can tell you because I've been there, in the back, way back of that cemetery, the, one of the biggest plots right behind it has a tombstone right there. And right marked on this tombstone is the epitaph, she did it her way. The first time I ever saw that, I thought, wow, what an epitaph that could be written on a number of people's lives. And so when you think of that, what would be written on your tombstone? He or she did it her way or his way? Because you you could write that over the Edomites in the book of Obadiah. You could write that over so many characters in the Bible that what an epitaph. And that's another thing why today we're talking about avoid friends who are deaf to wisdom who twist values to suit themselves and then ask yourself, is that me? A fourth one is the mocker. Now, this is the most hardened apostate in the book of Proverbs, is the, is the, are the mockers. One commentator put it like this, No man earns more universal dislike or deserves it more than he who wears a perpetual sneer, who is himself incapable of deep loyalty and reverence. He opens his big mouth, and guess what? He puts a strain on the community. That's the mocker. In fact, according to Proverbs 22.10, it says, To restore order, the mocker must be driven away from the community by force. You know, I was asked to speak at a father-son camp out last year down in Florida, and the first text that popped into my mind at that time was the story of the two she-bears that come out and maul the 42 kids for mocking Elisha. Now, don't worry, I did not preach that text at that camp out, okay, or I'd never get invited back, right? No. But mockers are not pleasant at any age. God doesn't like them no matter how old they are. And so mockers are not a good thing in Scripture. And I remember seeing an an article one time of the untimely deaths of those who have mocked God. And just to give two examples, one of them was Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe, you know, for all her riches and beauty and everything else, Billy Graham went and visited her when she was doing one of her filmings or shootings or whatever it was. And he went and said, the Lord has laid on my heart to come share the good news of Jesus Christ with you. And she mocked him and says, I don't need your Jesus. The next week she's dead in her bedroom. In 1985, there was a man running for president of Brazil. Brazil. Tancredas Neves. And he told told his party, if I can get 500,000 votes, not even God will remove me from presidency. He got the votes. And the day before he was going to become president, he all of a sudden got sick and died the day before. Mockers don't do well. Mockers of religious things, of God and of others. Now, this isn't just an outside, out there type of thing. Mockers can make their ways into the church. Uh, We were at a church previously, and there was a couple that was like that, that they were cancer everywhere they went. Every group they joined, every person they talked to, there was disastrous problems in the church because of it. It started off from gossip to strife to deceit and ultimately to mocking to where the church had to drive them away after trying to put them under church discipline, and they wouldn't change. And so that can happen both. And that's why the language in the Bible, the language in both Testaments, the Old Testament and the New, is very strong for what you do with those in the community like that. Because you have to protect the community. You have to shepherd them. Derek Kidner, one of the main commentaries that John had mentioned at the beginning of the series, puts it this way. What an institution sometimes needs is not reform, but the expulsion of a member. The matters of boundaries of inclusion and exclusion is crucial, for without it, no group, even the family of God, can have identity with integrity. And so avoid being friends with those who wear a perpetual sneer and are incapable of deep loyalty and reverence, and ask yourself whether you're like this. And so, the worst of them all, You might just think, well, I thought that might have been the worst of them all. The worst of them all that we've talked about so far is the sluggard. The sluggard is unreliable, lazy, and slothful. Their procrastinating nature makes them a constant source of irritation to all those who need to do business with them. And so let me share how the Bible defines the sluggard. This is like apple cider vinegar on a wound. This is like smoke in your eyes. This is like walking through a thorn bush. And again, those aren't my analogies. That's how scripture defines and discusses this type of person. Now, I want you to also be clear on something. Laziness in the book of Proverbs is more than a character flaw. It's a moral issue. So it's not just they lack character. It's a moral issue. Why is it a moral issue? It's a moral issue because it leads to a loss of purpose And a loss of life as God intended it to be. And you see that all over. So they have nothing to give to society. And again, the language is strong, which is why I'm being strong here. That in fact, they're not even worthy to be called poor in the book of Proverbs. Is the lazy person. That's why Proverbs does not instruct the disciple to feed them. That is why they're left begging in the harvest. That's why you have certain verses in the New Testament that say the same, because sluggards are fools and someone to be avoided. You know that, that's probably why there's no uh, goats articles on them. There's no greatest of all time sluggards, right? No one writes about them. At, at best, you can find a children's book. Actually, my kids, when, it, when we were just talking about uh, this this message, they remembered a book that I read to them several years ago called The Goat-Faced Girl, and the Goat-Faced Girl. Is about a a little girl that is so lazy, and her mom sees it. And I can't let her continue to be lazy in every aspect of her life. And good thing she was a sorceress mom because she was able to do a number of things to help her realize about her laziness. But it was a wonderful book, and my kids still remember it to this day. So at best, you might be able to find a, a, a kid's book on it. But at worst, you'll find people making fun of them. You know, it's funny, 15 people making a run for the most lazy person in the world. So this was an article two months ago. And so they have pictures included with all these. I was gonna put them up, but you know, I thought it might be more distracting than helpful. So they talk about people that, you know, here's a lazy man that just always props his phone with his cheek so that he never has to hold it, right? Of course, now they make gadgets for that. There's pictures of a guy laying in the grass watching a concert that he paid tons of money for with his GoPro camera just laying down the ground to watch it like this. They have pictures of the guys making the long straws in order to not have to get up and uh, get up to get their drink. They show, um, yeah, uh, this this guy again, you've, you've probably seen the thing where they sit on the, the box that, that they ordered the chair instead of actually open the box and unpack the chair, right? And so they'll just use that as their chair. You talk about the guy who, or, or the woman who puts a, uh, a little sticky note under the clock because they don't want to go get the ladder and change the time, they just put minus one hour. <laughs> you have the person that takes the chair in Burger King and there's, they're only too, too deep in the line and they take the chair and they sit on it while they're waiting in line. There's a picture of that woman. There's a picture of another person, a dad, and I hope no dads take this as a note. This isn't a note for you. The guy takes, takes a string, ties it all the way to the little swing in the back so he can stay on his chair and, and have his phone and drink his beer, and he's just pulling every once in a while the little swing set. Men here, we're going to swing our kids, right? We're going to be involved. So they show all these. Now, at, at worst, there's things to mock them, things to laugh at them, but to God, they're no, it's no laughing matter that don't just think also that this is the teenager sitting around playing video games all day. This isn't just the 40-year-old deadbeat still living with his parents. This could be the 60, 70, 80-year-old who has retired. I was talking to a dear brother in Christ last year in Pensacola, and he has had a successful life both as a father, as a husband, and professionally, he used to be on the Florida Supreme Court And we were talking, we were having a coffee one day on 9 Mile, if you've ever been in Pensacola. We're sitting at a coffee shop right there on 9 Mile. And he says, you know what, we were just talking. And he says, on this stage of my life, I realized that I'm no less accountable right now than I was back when I had a house full of kids and I was working full time. Woe to me if I get lazy in kingdom purposes. And what great advice for an older man to be speaking into a younger man. I know right now you're thinking, I gotta be a good steward of my kids. I gotta be a good steward of my job. I gotta be a good steward of all these things. But some people wind up retiring and thinking, man, what does stewardship look like? You're no less accountable for this day than you have been for any day up to this point. We're accountable for every day God gives us life. And so, as we were talking about all these things, A friend to avoid is those who are lazy, for it's no laughing matter. And then ask yourself, is that me? And so we're going to wrap up our time with the type of friend we should pursue. So those are just a few of the ones the proverb says to avoid. Let's end by looking at who we should pursue as a friend. And the first one we're going to talk about is those who fear the Lord. You know, two helpful questions, at least for me to ask, to, to, to situate not just somebody who is a Christian, because again, somebody could have just become a Christian and they need to go through that process of surrounding themselves with wise, godly counsel and those who have gone through, down a path that they're just like I mentioned with me and an older gentleman. But do they show an affectionate reverence for God? Do they humbly bend themselves to what God says, what He commands? Are they careful about their walk? You know, I saw this in such a stark way when I first became a Christian. So as I've shared in here before, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I became a Christian my junior year of college. The first time I ever heard the gospel, first time I ever remember going into a church or anything religious, was a junior in college. And so it was a very stark difference, because now my eyes have been opened, and now I can see light and darkness. And so it was very radical, very contrast. So I want to share a couple examples that impacted me when I first became a believer. There, one, one, one Christian was a man named Dustin. And I had some music turned on on the radio. I think at that time on the radio was Nine Inch Nails or something. He comes walking to my dorm room, and he immediately turns that off. He goes, that won't be played in here while I'm in here. Now, he didn't say it as a bully. He didn't say it as trying to pick a fight. But what he was showing is I have convictions, and I live by those convictions. And so that's not going to be played while I'm in here at this time. And so I reflect back to that, and I respected that. Here is somebody that has a, he really believes what he believes, and he had a fear of the Lord. Another friend of mine, Grant, I remember I'd, I'd always just kind of, if the door was open, I'd walk in it, right? So I'd go barging into his, his dorm room one day, and he was on his knees praying, having a quiet time. And as he went up and he turned around, I can only imagine the things he wanted to say <laughs> and probably was thinking as I just barged into his room. And he just looks at me and he goes, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And I was like, all right, I'll come back, right? And so I just kind of, I kind of left. But I remember that. And it's still in my memory because you know what? Once again, he really did care about his relationship with the Lord. He really did show an affectionate reverence for the Lord and his relationship with him. And I had never seen this. Again, I'm a new Christian. I'm like, whoa, like this is different than I've ever seen, right? People actually living according to what they believe in their convictions. And I was new and I was learning and I was observing. Another friend of mine, Chad, he was talking to one of, my, uh, one, of the, one of the other baseball players on the team, and he was a non-Christian. And all I remember Chad saying at some point, he goes, Cam, let me ask you a question. He goes, what's preventing you from giving your life to Jesus Christ right now? I was like leaning in, right? I mean, besides leaning in to hear what he had to say, my thought was, whoa. Like, I know we're supposed to share our faith, but like, but like you're doing it. <laughs> like, that's, like, you're actually doing what we're told to do. And it was just, again, another example of somebody who really did care about what God commands us to do, and that's share our faith. Share the gospel. Be missional. Be evangelistic. Another friend of mine, Eric, I was struggling with my prayer life. You know, you first become a Christian, you're praying, God, I want to make an A on this next test, and you don't. Does God even hear our prayers, right? And so I'm struggling with prayers and and, and a bunch of other things. And my buddy Eric, he says, how about do this? He goes, I want you to take this next week. Tell God that you don't think prayer works, and that you are not going to pray to him this whole next week. Let's see how that goes. And I remember the feeling, I still get goosebumps thinking of a fear of God that almost was imputed to me at that point that I had not had before, that I felt at that point. Many of you all have ever heard a day without prayer is a boast against God. You know, I got this, I don't need you, you don't, you're not really involved in my life, and, it, and I never took him up on that challenge but there was something with his walk with the Lord that he just knew prayer works. And so I'll challenge you to do this, and I've never done that because there was a fear of the Lord in him that he was able to communicate to me. Another friend of mine, Travis, I'll give one last example. We were sitting in a group of guys. We were around a table. His girlfriend at the time comes in and says, hey, can you sign this card, whatever, a birthday card or something? And he snaps at her. He says, listen, I'll be there in a second, Courtney, and he, you know, I'm here with the guys. So she just walked away. And another friend, different Eric, another Eric, talked to him and says, You know what, Travis? I can think of about a hundred other ways you could have responded right then. And he hung his head, he stood up, and he went and made right. And I remember that as a young believer thinking, here is somebody who really does bend humbly to what God would have, because he knew he did wrong and he needed to go make right. And he was willing to let somebody else speak into his life and point out something he did wrong. I mean, all of us were thinking of it, but one of us, one of us, one of us said it to him. You need to, you need to go make right. You need to go make right. And so pursue friends who fear the Lord because you will be so much better off for it. And then ask yourselves, do you fear the Lord? Another one to pursue are those who are wise. Proverbs defines this type of person as someone who departs from evil, seeks knowledge, listens to instruction, accepts commands, loves rebuke, walks with the wise, is a fountain of life to his community. You know, I had a cousin. His name's Drew. He came up here to Denton, um, I want to say back in 2009 or 10-ish, to go through uh, Denton Freedom House. Some of you all know it's an uh, organization here, a ministry here, I should say for those who have struggled with addictions and other things. And as he was going through that program, bought him a ticket, came up here. Month one, uh, a lot of adjustments, things are different. Month two, uh, he's in it. And something had changed. Something was different in Drew's life. And I was talking to him. I said, hey, a little different. What's going on? And he talked about how this wise man came up to speak to him, and he had three words that were very wise. He says, are you teachable? Are you teachable? Now, I don't mean can somebody teach you how to woodwork. I don't mean can somebody tell you how to dress a deer. I don't mean can somebody teach you how to what, X, Y, Z. Are you teachable? Meaning, are you humble? Do you know that you don't have all the answers? Can somebody else speak into your life? Can somebody else actually come in and give wisdom? So, and whatever the talk was. And that put my cousin on a path to pursue wisdom for the first time in his life. And he's, he was 40-something years old at the time. For the first time, somebody actually... Spoke something like that. This wise man came in with some wise words. And my cousin wound up giving his life to Christ, accepting him as his Lord and Savior, only to then, a couple years after that, die. And so what timing? will never know the people we speak to and the words we give, the timing that was needed in their life for wise words. And so I asked my wife for her, My wife's Daniela. I said, who's somebody in your life who has just been this example? And she pointed to a friend of hers a couple years ago named Joanne. Still a friend. We actually just uh, stopped by and saw her when we were on our way back from North Carolina, as you guys know, about last month. And she says, Joanne, when we first met, and we'd get together. Uh, One thing I loved about her is that she wouldn't just affirm me. She would challenge me. She wouldn't just listen to me. She would offer wisdom and advice, and speak into that situation. And she goes, at the time, it was hard. At the time, it was not comfortable, but I'm so much better than I would have been without it. Having a friend, truly, who, as the proverb says, is, walks with the wise as a fountain of life to their community and even loves and accepts commands and rebuke. And so for my wife, she looks back and says, wow, that wasn't comfortable, but it was needed. And so we need to all pursue friends who are wise and can speak into our lives because we're going to be much better off with them. And then to ask ourselves, are we wise? Do people come to us for that advice? The last one I'm going to share this morning is pursue friends who are righteous. Righteousness as a category is just those who do right, those who are just, those who are fair. It's a pattern of life. You know, Job is almost a textbook example of this virtue. So if you read in Job, he says, I put on righteousness as my clothing. So it's not just specific acts you do. I did right here. I did right over here. I acted justly over here. It's actually a pattern of life. It's your disposition, not just your deeds. It's your character, not just your conduct. And so that's what it's talking about in those. You know, John mentioned a few weeks, or was it last week or the week before, to kill a mockingbird. And he was referencing a different character in that story. Well, in that story, there's another character that made a huge impact on my mom's life. Uh, Or as a little girl, she just remembered this scene. And she said, it really impacted me at a young age. And it was another character named Atticus. And there was a scene in the, I think it's even in the movie or in the book, where somebody comes and spits in Atticus's face, berates him verbally, and tries to pick a fight my mom says, I watched him stay composed, wipe the spit off of his face, and walk away. That he still was going to do what is right, what is just, and what is fair, no matter what goes on around him or even to him. And that's a hard thing to do, is to find those who are that composed, who are that focused on doing what is right, just, and fair. And that's what we're seeing here are the types of friends to pursue that always, as a way of life, do what's right. Not just when people are looking, but when people are not looking. Not just when it's easy, but when tough times come. Not just when when somebody's being nice and listening to them, but even when somebody spits in their face. That they do what's right, just, and fair. Well, speaking of what is right, just, and fair, and speaking about friends, not just to avoid, and friends that we should find... There is one friend that we can't make it without, and that is Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many bad friends you've had in your life and how much you've messed it up to this point in your life. Or it doesn't matter about how many, time, how many good friends you have right now that you're surrounded with that might be giving you good advice. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All your friends and you and all of my friends and me have all fallen short. And we are all sinners that are dead in our trespasses. And so we need Jesus Christ so that we might be forgiven of our sins. So that we might be able to press forward to the upward call and the goal that is set before us. And so I'm not sure where any of you all are today. But the one friend I hope you're able to leave here with, if you haven't already, is Jesus Christ Because Jesus Christ is the free gift of God for sinners like us who have botched it, who have picked bad companions at different times. And as we reflect back on our lives and we think of maybe it was just that one season in our life, maybe it was that one night, that one weekend that we chose to be around somebody that put us in the wrong direction. Even now, you can be forgiven of all of that, all of those decisions. And that's exactly what we must do today. You know, if I were to do a, end with a Bible trivia, there's only one person in the entire Bible that's called a friend of God. Not even Moses. Moses, it says, he got to talk to God face-to-face like a friend. But there's only one person in your entire Bible that's called a friend of God, and that's Abraham. And Abraham was declared righteous because he believed God. He put his faith alone in what God had said. And that's just as true today as it was back then, that we are to have that type of faith in God, that faith alone in the plan He's given to to us, which is to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so would you pray with me to that end? That, Father, I do pray right now, if there's anyone who has not come to that place in their life, of knowing your Son as their Lord and Savior, would they do so today? Even right now, where they sit, they can just recognize, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Would you save me? And I pray that even right now, someone who hasn't known you as a friend could. For as we know, even as the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, James said, that to be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God. And so, Father, we don't want anyone here to leave your enemy, but to be your friend. And to be your friend, as we've seen, we need to believe. We need to trust in you and what you've said and what you've told us. And the will of yours is that we would believe upon your Son. And so we accept him as our Lord and Savior, paying the penalty for our sins, that we might be made right with You. And so, Father, for those that haven't done so, may they do do so even now. And for those of us that have, those of us that have maybe been walking with You for a while, am able to call You, friend, that, Father, You would help us navigate life and pick the right companions to be with, to avoid those we should avoid, and to pursue those we should pursue. Even this day... Maybe this would encourage us to find those that we can have speak wisdom into our lives that fear you and that are righteous. And so would you show us who that might be? And help us, Father, to avoid those that we need and must avoid. And may we do so in Jesus' name, amen.